When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I just really fell in love with it. It's just, it's got a very different feel to his other films. The acting was not very good and everyone is doing an accent. Like Scarlett Johansson is doing like seven accents that she sort of drifts in and out of. And the female characters are just sort of chattels for... Oh, yeah, they're dreadful. ...straight white men and their problems. The idea that, you know, Angio gets in the machine each night and doesn't know if he's going to be the guy drowning or the guy at the back of the room. Like, that's a, that's a great, great concept. I think that's really... But it's really nasty. I just don't think this film is as clever as it acts like it is. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's true of many Christopher Nolan films, let's be oh, honest. yes. Hello, welcome to Flix Watcher. Joining us today, we have Helen Ho H. Hello. Helen Zed. Hi. And not Helen, Kobe. Hello. Honorary Helen. <laughs> and we're here to review The Prestige. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans, welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Helen O'Hara and Helen Zaltzman. If you could please say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Hello, I'm Helen O'Hara. I'm a film journalist for, among others, Empire Magazine and the Empire Podcast. And I have just written a new book called Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which is out this week. I'm Helen Zaltzman. I'm a podcaster. I make shows such as The Allusionist, an entertainment show about language. Answer Me This, where we answer questions on myriad topics. And Veronica Mars Investigations, where we recap the television show Veronica Mars. Helen O'Hara. Hello. Can you tell us about the book, Women vs. Hollywood, which will be out now as you're listening to this podcast? Uh, do your plug, because we <laughs> wanted you to come on to talk about your book. Go on. Okay, so this is... Do the uh, this is, <laughs> Thank you. This is a foolish attempt to try and sum up 100 years of Hollywood history and look into the future um, from the point of view of, of women in film. So basically trying to figure out why there were so many women in the silent era who were kind of pushed out by the studios and how women are finally beginning to kind of get back into some of the major roles in the profession. So I've looked, you know, I've kind of taken it era by era. And then in the more modern times, I've kind of tried to go issue by issue and look at how all of these multiple forces interact, like 
directors, um, franchise movies, awards, critics, Me Too, like how do all these things interact and how do we change the picture to make it a bit more equal in future? And yeah, I've read the book and I thought it was fantastic and insightful and super entertaining listeners. As a cinephile, I was quite shocked by a lot of the stuff that happens and has happened and hopefully mm. it does seem to be course correcting. Um, and I think one thing is, as it alludes to your book, don't presume it's, it's, it's course corrected by now because th- mm. three female directors got nominated for the Golden Globes. That doesn't rectify everything. You might yeah. have some some good years uh, in terms of representation, um, some, but then it needs to be a trajectory that keep, that continues. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's still in the book is prevalent. That, that's still not the case, but it's mm. it shows that there's a light. I think. Yeah, I think I think the fact that people are talking about it now really matters. Um, and I know, as you know, we're all people who talk about it, so we would like to think that. But I genuinely do think that's moving the needle, because you know, it, things that were not an issue five or ten years ago, trans representation, mm. the mm. idea that trans people should play trans people, was not a concern of anybody in Hollywood five or ten years ago, and that has completely come up to be a major, major issue. I think disabled people uh, having the opportunity to play themselves is going to be the next major, major issue because I think it's it's just not acceptable anymore for you know able-bodied actors to keep playing disabled roles. Um, I think there's been something like 32 Oscar winners in disabled roles, and two of them had a disability. I mean, th- this mm. is these are not good statistics. So you know, these are the kind of things that we need to to have a conversation about and maybe change because you know we can we can. There can absolutely be a conversation about, well, actors should be able to play anything. And that that's sure. Okay, great. But that shouldn't just be straight white actors, able-bodied actors who can play anything. It should be everybody in that case who gets a chance. So, so yeah, there's a long way to go. But I think we're hopefully headed in the right direction. And I think that's that's the, really true for the whole kind of un, underrepresented voices spectrum like say mm. disabled race um gender and sexuality and i think the if everything was equal and everyone could play any role then absolutely acting is acting but i think there needs to be a redressing of the balance until yeah. it's a bit fair and one person someone asked me about um no it was because russell t davis his amazing tv show it's a sin mm. and he said it should be he, he picked um gay actors to play the gay roles where yeah. previously that wouldn't really been a thing. Um, and initially I was like, why do you need to do that? Uh, because they're all kind of cis appearing um, men on, on, you know, and acting is acting. But yeah. then speaking to a few friends of mine, they were saying, yeah, but it's, and it's analogous to female race and disabled that the stories just aren't, there's not enough stories specifically for them. Yeah. And people see a lot in themselves projected on screen. If there's not enough representation, then that should also be, um, we need to carry that through the whole grain of, yeah. of of the of the of the production, and I think until that balance is addressed, I'm, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit, sorry, this is a bit of a weird, a weird uh, <laughs> soapboxing. But until that balance is addressed across the board, I think we need to push these things forward. And I think yeah. Women versus Hollywood is doing exactly that. Oh, thank um, you. And you do. I love the way you do. You do talk about the other underrepresented voices in there as well. So well, yeah, because I mean, like, if it's you know, if it's sort of 
quote unquote white feminism, as they call it on the internet, and it's just for middle class white women, then it's kind of it's worthless. So, you know, I, I tried from the beginning to kind of build that in. And, and the difficult thing about doing a book like this and, and sort of, you know, I'm relying on history books, obviously, for the bits where I can't go out and interview people. And the problem is that, you know, black people or Asian people or disabled people aren't in the history books because they mm. never got the chance in the first place. So it's trying to keep in mind the stories that aren't there and the sort of gaps in the in the history um and hopefully point out why that was you know so so yeah it's um it's laughably over ambitious but i've i've tried to to at least get a, a starter pack and then there's a, a big bibliography in the back so i can hopefully guide people to much more in, expert and in-depth accounts of of hollywood history guys go there read it and enjoy um saltzman hello you've lots of podcasts you're you're the original Helen, Helen of podcasting. She is, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's not a contest. It's, uh, all, all, all the podcasting. You paid the way for all the Helens. Equals. <laughs> I like to think that, yeah, as a pioneer for Helen representation. Um, <laughs> you know, all all the people with the name that peaked in popularity in about 1915. Um, yeah, I have uh, podcasts. Uh, the illusionist. I suppose the illusionist. Uh, covers some of the overlapping topics in that there's a lot of like oppression through language and a lot of erasure and a lot of history that is overwritten so they're like no there have only ever been uh uh cis straight people you know well there's evidence of that before but you have like only written you've only recorded Mm -hmm. things to demonstrate that point of view for instance um yeah you know you get into language podcasting because you think well that'll be interesting and fun and then it's just ever-increasing fury um about things done to uh perpetuate power imbalances in this world Uh, i also make a podcast recapping veronica mars the television show and we're just about to reach the 2014 fan-funded movie and so if you want to watch it along with me and my co-host jenny owen youngs we're going to be watching it on saturday 27th of february Ooh, which will be out a couple of weeks after this is out. So set a date. Are you doing a live watch along or? We're going to do a live watch along. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and how yeah. do people find that? Uh, just go to our Twitter, which is at VMI pod. Excellent. Uh, right. We're here talking about other films. Um, well, another film. And today that film is The Prestige, which is Helen O's choice. Hello. Can you tell us, first of all, Helen, why you chose The Prestige and... Well, what's it about, if you can explain it in less than a minute? <laughs> um, I chose it because it had been a while since I watched it, but I have uh, spent much of the intervening time telling everybody that it was my favourite Christopher Nolan film, and I wanted to actually go back and make sure that was still the case. And, <laughs> Did you rewatch um, all of them this... to check? <laughs> no, no, nobody has that much time. Mm. Um, so I, uh, it's the story of two duelling magicians, uh, Alfred Borden, played by Christian Bale, and Hugh Jackman, who plays Robert Angier, uh, start off as apprentices to the same man and uh, through a series of unfortunate events become bitter, bitter rivals and the rivalry consumes them and their families and their entire lives and it doesn't go well for anybody. I want to know what Helen said. So when when it said the other film is going to be The Prestige, when I said the film is going to be Prestige, you were like, ah, oh, I don't get on well with Christopher Nolan. So <laughs> what? good to hear what your thoughts are out of the gate for this one, Zaltzman versus... Oh. I was keen to know all of your thoughts because I wanted to know what it is that is not doing it for me that I'm that I should be feeling because I'd never seen it before and coming into it I just 
I thought that the acting was not very good. And everyone is doing an accent, like Scarlett Johansson is doing like seven accents that she sort of drifts in and out of. And the female characters are just sort of chattels for... Oh, yeah, they're dreadful. ...straight white men and their problems. And um, I feel like I don't have that much room in my heart for films that are about straight white men and their problems at the moment. Perhaps never again. (laughs) (laughs) See, look, look, some of my best friends are straight white men, you know. Oh, sure, yeah, they can stay. Yeah, I just don't (laughs) want to watch films about their problems either. Mm. I, I, I 100% agree on the female characters. Like the, Christopher Nolan has a very bad habit of killing off women in his films and yeah. in particular wives in his films. Oh, it's like motivation, and, dead uh, wife, great, carry on, yeah. Exactly, like move, yeah. It, and, and really we need more motivations. I, I'm, I'm very, very over the dead wife as a motivation for anything in any film ever. Uh, having said that, what I like about this is I think it plays to his strengths because he is a very chilly, logical director mm. And sometimes when he tries to direct emotion, fails utterly. Um, Witness that scene in Interstellar. And I think he's at his best when he's doing a tricksy puzzle box film about really nasty people like this. (laughs) And that's why I think this is his best film, because it kind of suits him in a way that that some of his more uh, recent efforts do not, in my opinion. There's an awful lot of time jumps in this film, 146 And I was wondering, (laughs) as I was lying in bed after having watched it, I thought, were those actually narratively necessary? I know that it sort of like makes things seem more clever because you're like, oh, that was in the past and that was in the future. But actually, would the narrative, was the narrative well served by doing that? Well, he likes playing with time, doesn't he, Nolan? That's that's his big, that's his big thing, as well as um, maligning women. Um, <laughs> not killing them then you don't have to malign them because they're dead exactly yeah for is it pretty much Catwoman is that the only decent female character who's written is she she's, is she, she is decent? Good. she's pretty good yeah she's not I mean she's not Michelle Pfeiffer but she's she's pretty good um <laughs> Yeah, look, he, he would he would probably claim Anne Hathaway in Interstellar as well. I would disagree with him. Um, you know, there, there's there's various female characters that people make a case for. I have yet to be convinced by any of those cases in any of his films. So, uh, Helen Sadler. So, I'm um, I'm a huge fan of this film. At the same time, I um, completely take on board everything about the the female characters. In it, but it's got lots of things that I really enjoy, and it is—it's the most complete Nolan film. It's mm. the one where pretty much everyone can get to the end of it and go, "Yep, I know what that was about. Um, I'm fine with that. I understand the story and what was going on and the people involved." And um, yeah, and it's got David Bowie in it as well. In <laughs> one one of my favourite roles of him, and even though the female characters aren't great um Rebecca Hall does play her part of Sarah really beautifully and Mm. that just about kind of makes it okay for me so while at the same time I completely understand everything you said when I saw this back in 2006 I just really fell in love with it it's just it's got a very different feel to his other films in that it, it feels quite warm in the moments and there's just something quite literally magical about magic and Mm. seeing how it's broken down and how it's presented and you know the whole thing about it being this kind of wonderful magical thing but actually it's loads of birds getting smashed has that really kind of weird juxtaposition that 
just appeals to me. But then the big finish is not magic at all. It's basically like a big 3D printer. Yeah, this is this is the, one of the things that people hate about this film is that, you know, it, it promises a trick throughout and the trick at the end is that it's real magic. And people hate that about it. And I think it's the, one of the cleverest things in the film. Um, and the, the idea that, you know, Angio gets in the machine each night and doesn't know if he's going to be the guy drowning instantly or the guy at the back of the room like that's mm. a that's a great great concept i think that's really but it's really nasty this is what i mean about the film being a nasty nasty thing even apart from all the body horror of you know losing fingers and Ugh. shooting each other and drowning and all that kind of stuff the the that particular choice that he makes a hundred times in a row for a hundred shows is is oh nasty but then they only address that in like a throwaway line though it would have been really yeah. interesting to contemplate that or what it was like for like these twins to, you know, have to lose it. Well, I don't think they had to lose a finger. I thought they probably could have found a way around it. But like, why are they, you know, both temporarily living with the wife? One of them never has to meet Rebecca Hall. I don't know. I was curious about the twin logistics, what it does to one twin, knowing that they're being executed, knowing that they're like breaking the heart of a woman that they're not really with. Uh, a lot of questions. And then also just like, isn't Michael Caine in on the big ruse with all the Hugh Jackman bodies? How come no. he's surprised at the end? Like if no, there's a hundred Hugh Jackmans in tanks in the basement, how is that not attracting his attention? Because he only, he didn't let him backstage. There is a line about that and he has the blind stage hands. So they yeah. do all the handling of the bodies. But, then but he why he's keeping right them in the, in the tanks the makes no sense. No, Exactly. It seems highly Tanks were cheaper in those days. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that didn't make a huge amount of sense. I think with with um, Freddie and Albert, which I think are their two actual names, mm. if I remember correctly from the Alfred, book, which is very good. Yeah. No, he's Alfred, but that's the two of them together. I think yeah. the, the twins' names are Alfred and Albert. No, but I like that, that they put oh, yeah, yeah, the they twins. Combined. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even, oh. Mm. Yeah, it's Freddie and Albert, uh, hence Alfred. But um, they... The, it's really uh, gnarly again. I think that the whole idea that you get to live with your own face uh, for one day out of two is tricksy. But I do like that, especially watching it again this time, I could generally tell which brother it was in any given scene. And I'm pretty sure it's Freddy, who's the one who fancies Scarlett Johansson, who dies at the end. And Albert, who was married to Rebecca Hall, survives to take care of his daughter. It's in the point. voice and mm. his facial expression. So even in that performance, he's doing so much that you can kind of tell, but yeah. then not enough so that it's really obvious. And I mean, I don't know if I'm just a very forgiving person, but when I watched it for the very, very first time, I I didn't see it coming. I was like, oh, okay. And yet in subsequent watches, um, obviously know it now and I get quite a lot of enjoyment from trying to do that work out how and when mm. and notice all the the clues and everything so I know people who've seen it in the first like 10 minutes ago oh he's a twin it's like how did you see that I didn't get that but there are like some really like non-subtle ones which you and you know when you've seen it a couple mm. of times when you know at the start the little kid that Rebecca Hall is with and he says well where's his brother you're like oh there we go mm, yeah just, yeah foreshadowing i think i clocked that halfway through when um they're talking in a bar and one of them's like well double has power over you and i was like oh everyone's got a fucking double <laughs> <laughs> well at the start when he's narrating over he's talking about we were two young men 
um, just wanted to get ahead of magic and is talking about him, him and his brother rather than the him and him and the great Danton. And that's mm-hmm. where that's where it kind of starts. But I this is the second time I've seen it, and I I forgot that bit that it was Fallon. I remember mainly David Bowie. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why that was the kind of overarching thing, and also the fact that there's hundreds of Hugh Jackman's uh, somewhere across the English countryside. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I've forgotten that it was Fallon was him, his well, himself and his brother yeah. at the same time. And again, I thought, shit, that's actually really clever. But then the logistics of it started to kind of play into my mm. my mind. So I think I maybe need to do, do Helen Sadler forensic rewatch mm. um, and pit who is who at which time. The thing that really should have tipped us off to Fallon's identity is the fact that every role in this film is played by a really good character actor except him. And that's how we should have <laughs> spotted it. Because there's like, there's Roger Reese and obviously Michael Caine, all these great people just Andy like Serkis. popping up, Andy Serkis, popping yes, up for like yeah. a scene and a half at most. And then there's, you know, unnamed dude. And, with the and really, beard. With the beard. And we should have, and the, the fat cheeks, and we should have just known, we should have known. I have a question about all of the Hugh Jackmans. Um, mm-hmm. So Lord What's It has been pretending to be an American magician for years just for fun. And yeah. his wife, when she's still alive, is like, yes, dear, I'm going along with this. Or she's only known him in deep cover. And then also when he's hiring the actor to pop up at the other side of the stage... And it's uh, it's him playing that actor. I was a bit surprised mm. that they cast him as that because the likelihood of finding, you know, a lookalike of anyone, like even identical twins don't tend to be as identical as Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman, mm. let alone a non-related <laughs> stranger. And also the audience would probably buy someone who's just like roughly same build, had the same hat and stick on moustache. Mm. So why do they cast Hugh Jackman in that? Is that just to be like extra like, oh, who's really a double yeah. and who's an actor that they've hired? Yeah, I think that was just to be extra. He does have a slightly um, prosthetic nose, but uh, and a few other little bits and be I think some teeth as well. But yeah, basically they just they just thought let's oh, hire Hugh Jackman, and maybe there. that was a, a double bluff as well to take uh, attention away from Bert and Freddie. I just don't think this film is as clever as it acts like it is. <laughs> well, that's the, that's true of many Christopher Nolan films. Let's be oh, honest. Yes. So I guess this begs the question of. Where does it rank in our Christopher Nolan list of films? I mean, for me, it is literally top. It's this and then probably Batman Begins and then probably The Dark Knight at the top of my Christopher Nolan rankings. Controversial, I know, but there we are. I think I'm probably the same. Uh, The Prestige, 100% 100 up the top. And then, depending on what mood I'm in, probably The Dark Knight, I think. And then... We've had Inception, which you scored very highly. Oh, yeah, shit, yeah, sorry, Inception. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, this, Inception, and then The Dark Knight. There we go, top three. And then, yeah, Tenet isn't really anywhere there, but I've only seen it once. And then Interstellar, I saw it at the cinema once, and that's that's kind of it. And then Memento, I probably would have said that years and years ago, but I'd need to re-watch it to, mm. to bump it up. But this, this by a long, a long way. Yeah, I think I... I haven't rewatched them since they came out, but I remember enjoying Memento while well, enjoying. Like, I appreciated Memento and Insomnia a lot when they came out. I don't know whether mm. I would still like them in that way. And then I think I'd enjoy like an hour long supercut of the best bits of the Batman films, which is basically Heath Ledger and Anne Hathaway. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll put them, I'll put 
I'll put the prestige below how I felt about Memento and Insomnia when they came out. Above my above the reality of the Batman trilogy, but below my supercut that doesn't exist. And then Inception below the Batmans. And then I haven't seen the other ones. Tenet might just yeah. I mean, I'm fine with that Tenet, it's... actually. I don't need it in my life, Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> It's not bad. It's better than Interstellar, I think. I, yeah, yeah, again, I, I, don't need that. There's a lot of Interstellar stands, aren't there? I guess. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not... It's, uh, um, I've just reached a stage in my life where I, I'm so conscious of my own mortality and the lack of time to see all the films that I will enjoy in this life that I feel fine about having seen six Christopher Nolan films to be like, you know what, I don't think his sticks for me. Also, he did a really, really boring <laughs> Desert Island Discs, which is pretty much indefensible. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Oh. It was shocking. Wasn't it? Ed Miliband did a really bad one. Was it Dave Miliband? That, that's, that kind of sticks in my mind. But... I, the most boring ones I think I've heard were Christopher Nolan, Ed Sheeran and Gary Barlow. But Christopher oh, Nolan no. is the Ooh. one that I was most surprised that it was that boring. Hmm. I but I haven't listened out. to a lot of football managers. Yeah, ones. no, I'm retreat till I hear it. <laughs> Although he does uh, put a Tom York song at the end of the the credits for this, which is a nice, if completely mm. irrelevant, kind of piece of music to enjoy. Did so he, he does have Radiohead some or Tom York for for um, his Desert Island Discs. I don't remember. remember. I do, see. I think the music is is not the main feature of Desert Island Discs, which is weird because it is the format. But what you remember is like what someone is willing to display of their character. Mm. I would, hundred percent. But sometimes there's a there's a song choice that just kind of sparks your imagination. You think, oh, you you pick that. Yeah, um, like Nick Clegg picked a Waka Waka song for Africa by Shakira. <laughs> wow, I'll never forget that. That's a choice. It is. Wow, I think it's because his little kid loved it. Oh, I think oh, yeah. Okay, if there's cute. reason like that's okay. Right. Uh, but I it's digress. if the format is you've got eight discs to take to that that you'd wish to be there and design him with them, that's one of them. For any other reason than that, then he's an idiot. Um, mm. But that's that's fine, I think. I don't remember Nolan picking Waka Waka. <laughs> <laughs> he would never. He would never. I think they'll be, I, I imagine them all being very kind of dry and have some kind of time play with them or be just really long. Um, <laughs> no but female like a lot artists. Of Johnny Greenwood uh, sound like scores. Yeah. Oh, I like Johnny. Oh, I like Johnny. Yeah, Green. very nice. Oh. Just like Desert Island wise, though. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, anything else, guys? Before we head to the scores. Well, we're yeah, waiting for your notes. um your your bowling your Nolan list. Your you'd never. Yeah. At this, this I'd only seen this once before, and I, uh, as O'Hara said at the top of the show, I always said this is my favourite Nolan, even though only having seen it once, and I'd still say that's the case. Um, then alongside would be one of the Batman first two Dark Knights. I'd have to rewatch because I've only seen it once. I've seen Batman Begins quite a few times though. Um, and then a bit further down will be the others, Inception and, and the others, because sometimes I think there's just a bit of nonsense in there, which kind of, even though this has got real magic in there and, and the Tesla thing does cause duplications to happen and one of one of duplicates, one of duplicates or the teleporting men, like Helena Horace said, I do like the fact that he didn't know if it was going to be him or the duplicate that drowns. Mm. I think that's a nice kind of that's kind of the nicest touch here. There are leaps of fancy you have to take with this, I think, sometimes. Um, but I think they're less so than Interstellar and Tenet and other ones. I don't know if that's my point. So first yeah. of all, it's this, and then Batman's, and then 
<laughs> then Inceptions. Um, let's head to the scores. Hello, I'm Sam Pei. And I'm Martin Zotzorstwick. And together we host a show called Song, Song by Song, Song, where we deal with the music of Tom Waits. We've been going since uh, 2015. Every week we talk about a new track. Uh, we've made our way through 15 seasons so far of his music. And now we're going back to the early years. And if you haven't listened to Tom Waits before, it's not the growly stuff. It's not the stuff where he's hitting an automobile with a bone for percussion. <laughs> it's a nice, easy way into his music. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you should check out our website, songbysongpodcast.com, or put Song by Song into your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to the Flix Watcher scores. <laughs> We've only been doing this for how long now? Um, all of the scores are always out of five you may have decimal places if you wish and we will start with you Pellant Ohara. all right what's our first category recommendability sorry recommendability this is high i would say this is a four i can i feel like most people would want to see this or would be happy to have been recommended this at least Saltzman. it's tricky because if i was in the habit of recommending christopher nolan films then I would recommend it, but I'm not. So I think I'm just going to give it 2.5 as a neutral score because I I wouldn't. Like the Swiss. Sadler. So I recommend this to everyone, even though there are people like yourself, Helen said, who um, don't have any interest in Nolan. And I think that's fine. But I do think it's probably his most accessible film and without having to like, get your brain around time bending you can watch it and at least go along with it so um i'm gonna give it 4.8 i'm gonna go for 4.5 here it's good enjoyable fair and it's i guess like i said i've only seen it twice in the space of like 10 years um it kept me going through this rewatch and I think I need to rewatch it more. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, then hundred percent, you should, you should see this uh, for 4.5 repeat viewing score. Helen O'Hara. I was really into it this time and because it, maybe because it had been a while, but again, I'm probably going to go, I'm going to go for, no, I'm just going to go for, I'm, I'm, I'm trained at Empire. <laughs> we, we stick to full numbers. It really hurts me to even do a 0.5. So I'm just going to stick with a four. Um, yeah, I think I'm not sh- saying I'd watch it every week, but I would happily watch this again, again. Zoltzman. I sort of wished that I had seen this when it came out, where I had a different mindset towards the Christopher Nolan stick. I mean, I really did go into it with an open mind, wanting to enjoy it. Um, and I think if I was re-watching it, then I'd be seeing things that I had previously liked in a different way. But seeing it for the first time now, when I... I'm not really transported by what he's doing. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it another neutral 2.5. And I feel generous by doing so. It's not what my heart <laughs> wants to say. Uh, I always think that Zoltzman should be a, a Ghostbusters name. Have you ever considered mm, that? Yeah, they would misspell it constantly, though. That's the irritation. <laughs> well, you have to have it out there in your jumpsuit. It would be there, front and centre. Oh, yeah. That everyone to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. Uh, Sadler, repeat viewing. So I don't know how many times I've seen this film, quite a lot. First at the cinema and then I put it on DVD and I actually watched it over Christmas and um, 
definitely didn't need to watch it again for this because I've seen it so many times, but it was an excuse to watch it again. I was told actually that I wasn't allowed to watch it on like the big screen again because we'd watched it quite recently. Um, but if someone said tomorrow, do you, do you want to watch it? I'd be like, yeah, I would. It's like one of those films, like you have, you complete go-tos and this is, this is one for me. And it does continue to reward on the repeat watches. So if you're kind of interested, if you enjoyed it the first time round, then I definitely recommend that you watch it at least two times, maybe even more. Um, so for me, it's a five. Yeah, I'm going to go for a 4.2 here. It's one, I haven't watched it much and that's probably just because I've never had free access to it. Um, but it's one of those things where after watching the first time, I was like, I need to rewatch that again. I just never got around to it. And I feel the need to do what Helen Sadler was saying and, and try and pick out when when he's whichever twin. Because um, that seems like a, quite an interesting game to play. Um, I might yeah. check out. I'd love to watch it with the Helen Sadler commentary. I really would. <laughs> It'd be more fun than the Christopher Nolan commentary, I can, I bet you. <laughs> like, I mean, a talented filmmaker, but uh, he's just so dry. I don't, I don't mean to rag on Christopher Nolan, I don't, but yeah, well, I kind of do. Anyway. Small screen score. This is typically where recent Christopher Nolan films would would mm. fail for me, but let's see what um, this produces. Helen O'Hara. Yeah, I don't think this suffers at all from the small screen. I'm going to go five here because um, it's it is in the character work and there are gorgeous images in it you know the the top hats in the in the forest has really stayed with me since and, and some of the tesla stuff but i don't think you need the big screen to enjoy it so i'm mm. like yeah gonna go five on this yeah it's awesome yeah i watched it again on the six foot screen and it was um it i it was very kind of enveloping um because of like the sets and the, the sort of depth of it so i'll, I'll give it it I feel like I'm failing you on the small screen score because it's that's a large size screen. But um, yeah, I'll give it four point five for that. Helen Sadler. I enjoyed seeing it at the cinema, but the subsequent many watches on the um, it was really interesting. Cause 2016, the year when you had two films about magicians came out quite mm. soon. Was um, it 2016? Sorry, 2006. 2006. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other one, the Jessica yeah. Biel, the Illusionist, right? Yeah, yeah. which is. Ed, Edward Norton's in that one and mm. I'm a huge Edward Norton fan and yeah I think I've probably only seen that one once yeah. whereas this this one just kind of I think was the, the better although I haven't seen it recently to to make that judgment but probably I think I I seen it just... a Mitchell and Webb one oh <laughs> uh, maybe actually magicians maybe mm. but I will yeah. say the illusionist like it's fine but it's not even the best film called the illusionist because the Sylvain Chaumet um, animated film called The Illusionist is a better film called The Illusionist. So, Magicians was 2007. So, yeah, a lot of oh, yeah. uh, pairs of magicians' films in a short space of time. <laughs> Armageddon, Deep Impact, Greenland. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, Greenland it. happened the a long time after. Uh, so, sorry, Helen, so, what was your score? What was your small score? Um, score? So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a, f- a five. I think it works perfectly well uh, on the small screen because it, it kind of has that kind of nice warm glowy feel to it yeah i'm gonna go for five as well i don't if this had come out this year um i wouldn't have felt the need to go to watch in in the cinema like i did tenant um so (laughs) and it tells you know it keeps you in the story well on a small screen where Mm. i think if you're at home watching tenant or interstellar for me i probably would have 
I'd be pausing all the time, um, going making coffee, doing my tax returns, coming back, watching installments. That's a bit harsh. Um, but yeah, engagement score, Helen, Helen O'Hara. I think this is a four again, because I feel like I could, it is long enough that there is a chance that I would get up and leave, <laughs> you know, once I put it on TV. Uh, not, you know, I've had it on DVD for years since it mm. came out. So like it, it is available to me, has been available to me for a long time. So it is feasible and possible that I would step away. But generally speaking, I think if it if I came into the room and it was on, I would probably be here for the duration. Zosman. Yeah. I for me, I think one of the main problems was that I didn't like anyone in it or at least not anyone who wasn't mm. killed within a few minutes um and i felt like i was being deliberately misdirected so much that it meant that i i just thought well there's no point really engaging with what i'm being told at this stage of the story because they're deliberately trying to be like well but ta-da, later so for me that meant it was like a, a 1.5 i'm really Oof. sorry like i really don't want to rag on a film you all love i just really didn't like it Hey, we didn't we didn't make it. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. No, fine. but like I don't want to be like, oh, you know, just uh, just being difficult. No, but that is usually a problem for me as well. Is when there isn't a, anybody in a film that I like at all. I'm just I, I find it really really hard to engage. Um, weirdly, in this one, I, I I like different people at different times, and I think that keeps me going. If you if you fix your star to um, to Michael Caine, that helps. I think. Mm-hmm. I was thinking Caine, and obviously, uh, well, I don't just Bowie as well. Yeah, uh, obviously Bowie. Yeah, yeah. So, so one point five was it, Helen? Okay, it's Altman. I was waiting for Doctor Octopus stuff to happen with the Tesla machine, so that kept me on the edge of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Sadler. Not this film, sadly. It's interesting because, from what you're saying, I wonder if I was to watch it for the first time now, whether I would enjoy it as much with, I don't know, all the other films that are out there. Um, and you know. The more, more I watch it, the more I kind of like just feel a bit sorry for Scarlett Johansson, who's trying mm. the best she can, but hasn't really got that much to work with. And uh, so I think I was, it's not. And it's just, it's like, oh, just hire another English actress, maybe that could resolve it. Does she get any kind of resolution, her character? Well, she's just sort of no, like she, a thing I where he's like, go off and do she something that's useful for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she she leaves him because he is obviously um, unable to express any yeah, kind of okay. sadness yeah. over the death of Sarah because That's he is right. genuinely okay. in love with her. And mm. um, yeah, she, she leaves him on that. She takes like mm. the moral high ground and go, no, I've, I've I've I'm done with a lot of you. You men are insane. You're too crazy. Goodbye. Um, I think engage is like. Even when I watch it now, I'm still super engaged. And the more you watch it and pay attention to it, you know, the film says, are you watching closely? Like the closer you watch, the more you get. So I'm going to give it a five. I think one thing is, is a flight to fancy with Tesla making uh, duplications of people and cats and hats. Um, But the the thing with the twins is always, it kind of always irritates me because I know a couple of sets of twins, none of them particularly well, but I know them enough now after seeing them maybe like 10 times to tell the difference between them quite quickly. Um, so the fact that people were intimate with twins and couldn't tell that there was something going on is a bit irksome. I was wondering, <laughs> they, they, are, but they have made their they whole do life. Know. Yeah, they've, they have built their whole life around acting the same way and having the same information. I know. And, and, that's, and Sarah and that's, does and work that's it out. She, yeah. Yeah. She, she knows, which is why she, she couldn't, 
carry on anymore. So the people kind of know. Mm. And, and obviously, um, Michael Caine's character says it from the start, it's a twin. Did he say it's a twin or just a double? A double. I was wondering how identical twins feel about watching films like this. Are they like, mm. yeah, it's cool being an identical twin, look. Or are they like, it's very reductive, just <laughs> treating us like we're, you know, a spare person that you can do magic tricks with or cut mm. the fingers off or kill. Yeah. A spare meat person. Yeah. You'd definitely want to do some magic tricks with them, though, wouldn't you, after watching this? Yeah. Or the very least stuff like, uh, wasn't it Linda Hamilton in Terminator? Oh, my goodness, um, yeah. Got her own twin to, uh, to play her double. Oh yeah, that's yeah, true. you can do clever stuff yeah. like that. That is amazing. I'm surprised. Yeah, there's not more. With the, the the London twins, Jeremy and is it Jack? They should have done more stuff together. Yeah. Mm. Um, Let's get Jedward in this film. <laughs> oh my god, that would have made it so much better. Would it? Would it have? Would it? <laughs> well, it'd be different. It's funnier. Yeah. It would be funnier. funnier. Would it have been funnier though? I Although feel by, like by Nolan by, doesn't by, do funny. By by Nolan standards, this film is hilarious. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go for. Four and a half. Um, apart from that, the twins take him out of the game, ish. Um, <laughs> I still, I still, it. and I think I just go back to my first time watching it and just being like, "Oh, good, well done, yeah, well done." <laughs> um, and the score there is four point oh six two five zero. Good. I think it's lower than Interstellar. Not Interstellar. It's lower than Inception scored. Well, that's probably uh, my fault for dragging down the average. No, don't. It's no, it's no one's fault. It's no one's good. fault. No, you've got to be. No, we this all know your heart. This, this is the way the scores work. The spreadsheet has the power. Yeah. <laughs> um, the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet. All the powers in the spreadsheet. So, yeah, do follow us on Twitter, guys. We are at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter. Uh, and the main reason to follow us is because each time we record, we put a little... A little tweet on Twitter, and in this case saying we're watching The Prestige with Helen Zaltzman and Helen O'Hara from Empire Magazine and you're losing the show. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and you'll score out five stars for an on-air shout-out. And we did have a few responses, I thought there would be, from uh, Prestige stands, uh, Chris and stands. Helen O'Hara, do you want to take the first one that you see on your screen? Sure, it's from at stuntgoat75, a.k.a. Nice. Nicholas Daniel. And uh, he says, Nolan's best film, the whole film, is an immaculate illusion, keeping us, the audience, guessing right till the end. And it has David Bowie. Well, I can't argue with any of that. Does it? Let's talk about David Bowie. Thing, he's like, I remember him being in the film so much more. Um, but how does he do it? Because is he that good an actor or is it just his presence or is he just that... It's just David presence, Bowie, man. It's presence, yeah. yeah. Presence, yeah. <laughs> Helen Zaltzman, next one. This is from Easy Riders Raging Podcast. Uh, it reads like a five star, although they don't actually put a number in it. Um, they say, for me, it's Nolan's best film. Yes, even better than The Dark Knight. It's Wolverine and Batman as rival magicians with bloody Michael <laughs> Caine explaining screenplay structure and David Bowie reminding us he was the absolute boss. Yes. Strong, does, strong review. He does come out with a tweet later on with a five-star gif, so we'll okay. accept that. Um, Helen Sadler. This is from Christopher Jones at Plastic Percy. Easily the most complete film Nolan has released. Each rewatch brings something new and incredible to realise that the film literally uses the prestige to direct slash misdirect the viewer. Five out of five stars. Nice. Uh, and Helen O'Hara, do you see another one? I do, yes. Um, James underscore S. Wilson says, my personal third favourite film of all time after, and I love this, 2001 and Top Secret, which is one of my favourite films. <laughs> Endlessly rewatchable and one of the best hidden in plain sight twists. 
I think I do need to rewatch it sooner and do the Helen Sadler. I wonder if there's a guide online that um, <laughs> that tells Probably. you when which when he is Alfred and what what's the name Alf. Alfred I think it's Albert and Freddie. Albert and Freddie. Which when is Albert and when when is Freddie? That'll be quite mm. an interesting deep dive tonight before I go to bed. Maybe on Reddit. Now I want to do a double bill of this with uh, with Top Secret. That would be amazing. <laughs> you you never talk about Top Secret on Empire Magazine podcast. <laughs> you and Chris uh, Hewitt never never ever mention that film. So good. We're like a two person cult for the whole thing. <laughs> There's a few people we know um, from our from our quiz team who love Top Secret a bit. I've tried. Uh, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Oh I my love God, Top How do you know? I, I know a little it. German. He's over there. No, <laughs> nothing. I'm I sorry. It, he's I just a little I, horse. I saw it for the first time last year, and I wish I'd have seen it when I was a bit younger. Mm. Some of the some of the stuff is still it's very 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 out. funny, and then some <laughs> of it was a bit like, oh, I wish I'd have been ten years old. <laughs> so uh, good. Zaltzman and O'Hara, can you tell us where we can find you online, uh, what you're up to, and uh, say sayonara to everyone who's listening? Uh, well, uh, I'm Helen Zaltzman. You can find me at Helen Zaltzman on Twitter. I'm really sorry for yucking on your prestige yum. Don't um, apologise. You can hear my podcast, Answer Me This, Veronica Mars Investigations, and The Allusionist. That is spelt with an A, not an I, because it's not about magic. But it is about etymology. And in the prestige, you learn the etymology of the word prestige, which I was interested in. And uh, there's plenty more interesting word origins in that show. Is that actually where prestige comes from? Yeah, okay. they did not. They did not bullshit about that, Kobe. Mm. Um, also, we should just remind people that if you watch, if you're listening to this episode uh, before the 26th of February, 27th, yeah, then you can watch uh, the Veronica Mars 2014 movie with me and Jenny Owen Youngs. Fantastic. At VMI Pod, we'll be live tweeting. Ohara. Hello, yes, I'm on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, and you can often find me on the Empire podcast as well. And then my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, is in all good and evil news agents. It's in all bookshops, basically, hopefully, um, from, uh, as you listen to this, now, I think, right? Now, yeah. pretty much now. Go, now. go get it. Or don't. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to have all the Helens uh, on one podcast. <laughs> Do come back again. Hurrah. Thanks so much for coming on. Bye. 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 Thanks, guys. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell him Flix Watcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.